0: Hello, and welcome back, everybody, to the Real Madrid podcast. Well, the international break continues, so today we'll round up some of the current stories making the Madrid headlines. And also today we're going back in time to remember the short but eventful Madrid career of Thomas Graveson with author Chris Sweeney, who recently released the book Mad Dog Graveson The Last of the Football Mavericks. Now, don't forget also, you can catch up with all of the latest episodes of the podcast the website at www.realmadridpodcast.com. Now, then, a quiet week, it may well have been, but there are still a few interesting stories doing the rounds. Forbes magazine has been taking a close look at the Football Money League, which is put together annually by Deloitte, and it's going to be out in January. Now, we'll see Barcelona take top spot from Real Madrid. Barcelona's revenues increasing very substantially, indeed, from 690 to 852 million. Most of that increase, by the way, came via broadcast, and marketing madrid's revenue rose by just six million from 761 to 767 but then scratch the surface and delve into the figures and it's uh, a different story after tax Barcelona's profits just 5 million to Madrid's 38 and debt well Barcelona have got quite a lot of that as well 217 million to Real Madrid's plus 38 Uh, Barcelona's wage bill incidentally 501 million to Real Madrid's 362 so a clearly different strategy from both one club using debt to grow the other using relatively prudent financial management. Uh, moving on transfer window is opening relatively soon. Of course a quick update on the Van der Beek situation. Remember he and Ajax have said that there is no chance whatsoever that he will leave in January. Madrid though are still keen to try discussions are said to be ongoing with Ajax. Uh, it has, though, emerged that Van der Beek, who has, by the way, scored seven goals and provided six assists this season, would, it said, prefer to go to Premier League. Now, Gareth Bale is never far away, is he, from a headline, be it positive or indeed negative, And lots of stories about a potential January move to Manchester United are still doing the rounds. Plenty of fan polls as well, talking about whether or not it is a good idea. The general view appears to be... Proceed with extreme caution for a player who has significant injury history and a move to a more physical league on a permanent basis uh, may not be a prudent use of resources. The player himself, of course, never far away from an incendiary comment or two. This week, of course, has been no exception as he, on the eve of playing for Wales, came out with a comment, ''Well, it's clear I'm more motivated to play with Wales than I am with Madrid.'' Uh, It's normal, he said. I speak my own language. I feel more comfortable. This, of course, is the Madrid club uh, that pay him over £600,000 a week. Uh, Luka Modric has felt the need to clarify a few issues regarding his future with the transfer window coming into view again and his future once more being discussed, he said. My present and immediate future are in Madrid. I think only of that. Not such good news, of course, for James Rodriguez, who's returned to Real Madrid after injuring a knee in training and diagnosis in full won't be known for a couple of days. The worst case scenario is that he's ruptured ligaments, which again leaves him on the sidelines and possibly concludes any potential he might have had for a move in January. John O'B. McKell's quotes about Eden Hazard have been picked up by virtually every news organisation around the world. It came after he was in conversation on television in Turkey talking about Eden Hazard. He said he's the laziest player, but come match day, he was the best player on the pitch. He was simply amazing. Karim Benzema's international career, or lack of one, has again been a hot topic over the past four or five days, and he's been making headlines in France and, indeed, in Spain after teasing with the quotes that he could play for another country, notably Algeria, the land of his parents. Now, the Algerian coach, Jemel Belmadi, was very quick to come out with a response, saying, basically, I'm not interested. I have players already, Buneja, Slimani, Sudani... And I'm very happy with these. And lastly, it's been a great couple of weeks, hasn't it, for Rodrigo, which was capped with his international debut for Brazil. And after the match, Tite spoke out about his latest prodigy, saying he's a young man who will have a beautiful career ahead with the national team. Now, the one thing that becomes apparent when you delve into the term football mavericks is that most fans would like to have one in their team or at their club, and it's easy to see why. The omnipresent names that appear in the lists of great footballing mavericks that have appeared over the years, well, they actually put a smile on your face just actually mentioning their names. Players like... Osgood, Robin Friday, Charlie George, Zlatan, Stan Bowles, Jose Luis Schilover, Hudson Marsh, Prozienetsky, Di Canio, Gascoigne, Cantona, Worthington, and of course, the legend, George Best. And there's a plus one, because this player was loved by fans wherever he played. His name, Thomas Grevesen, Danish international, who made 337 appearances for clubs, including Hamburg, Everton, Real Madrid and Celtic and his story has been chronicled in the new book written by journalist Chris Sweeney titled Mad Dog Graveson the last of the modern football mavericks and Chris has joined us today so Chris can you tell us what actually gave you the inspiration to write this what actually were you doing when you suddenly thought I know I'll write a book on Thomas Graveson
1: i think tim i was probably having my dinner i've got to be honest i, I do remember having a I, I remember sitting in my house in uh, glasgow thinking you know this is a i've got the makings of a book here but uh it just started from you know hearing bits and pieces about thomas and thinking are they really true you know is that really something that happened and you know just sort of feeling the the need that wikipedia now seems to sum up everyone's life but i felt with thomas it didn't and the, and the more research i did the more i found out so i i, I quite quickly thought we've got a book here in a couple of days I decided let's do it and uh, off I went and uh, you know the book's now out.
0: Now the best summing up I heard was from David Moyes who said uh, Tommy said uh, well he was mental but in a good way he was a great player and we loved him he wouldn't listen but it wasn't in a bad way he was crazy at training sometimes good lad but totally mental.
1: I think that sums it up perfectly I mean when I spoke to Archie Knox who was Obviously, you know, assistant to, you know, to Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United and Everton, and also did a lot with uh, Walter Smith at Rangers and Everton. When I asked him about it, Thomas, he he just said to me, he shook his head and he just went, oh my God, what a boy, what a boy. And I think that, you know, he, he just was someone who left an impression with, with, with everyone he met, you know. Um, I think he was just so different from what you would expect a footballer to be and what a footballer is now, you know, just is a real, real unique character and someone... I think you just don't forget there was just no thought of maybe the future everything was spontaneous in the moment and he did most things with a smile on his face and uh, you know he's left his mark wherever he's been that's for sure
0: now tell us a bit about this move to Real Madrid which was organized by John Siverbeck but he caught everybody at Everton completely off guard uh, David Moyes was convinced wasn't he that it was a case of mistaken identity and Madrid couldn't possibly want Graveson what they really wanted was Lee Carsley.
1: You know there is the the urban myth, if you want to call it, that uh, you know Madrid came over and they were looking for a defensive midfielder. And uh, obviously at that time, uh, you know in in the, in the midfield for Everton it was Thomas and Lee Carsley. They're both bald, white guys, similar t- type build. <laughs> Thomas wears 16, Carsley wears 26. So it was get the white bald guy with number six on his back. Uh, but uh, you know they got the Dane, not the not the Englishman, but. You know, I think there's another myth around that, but, uh, you know, he, John C. Beck is his kind of agent and his kind of big brother through, through football. John was in touch with me for the book and sort of called me disrespectful at one point, so uh, he hadn't, I hadn't actually written the book at that point, so I don't know how he came up with that, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a surprising move, and I think most people give Thomas, um, they, they, they sort of judge him as this failure at Madrid, but from all my research and speaking to people that, you know, he did, he did well there. He was able to cut it at the football. I think it was his personality that maybe meant that you know a lot of pressure on him and he was dating a very famous porn star at the time as well
0: did you ever actually find out if David Moyes had actually gone up to Lee Carsley and said look Lee I've had Real Madrid on the phone they've asked about graphism but I'm, I'm sure it's mistaken identity and uh, I think actually they really want you so uh, yes you're going to be the blonde who's off on his way to the Bernabeu
1: I don't know well you know you know since the books came out and this has actually been discussed a little bit on Twitter Lee Carsley has made a a, a a comment on Twitter saying it was no no it was definitely Thomas who were after I think he was quite serious about it so uh, I don't know if Lee's a bit touchy about it I'm not sure but uh, it didn't happen for him and Thomas went to the Bernabout and as they say the rest is history.
0: No, I think you've got to clear another one up for us here the story that on his arrival in the dread He hammered on the door at the training ground and screamed, I am your saviour, I have arrived. True or false?
1: He does deny doing that, yes. But I think with Thomas, you can imagine him doing it and maybe not... Maybe them taking it seriously and him not quite meaning it that way. But um he does he doesn't deny knocking Ronaldo's teeth out. You know, that was one of his party pieces at, uh, at you know, all clubs. It was a big bear hug. He was a freakishly strong guy, they all say, very strong. So he would get anyone he wanted in a bear hug and just get them off the, the ground, maybe you know, a couple inches off the ground, just have the feet dangling. So that was his party piece. So he did that to Ronaldo, but big Ronaldo obviously can kind of fight to get loose, and then end up on the floor, and Ronaldo loses some teeth. So I don't think that was a great introduction to Madrid in the hierarchy. Here's a prized possession sort of uh, line there, uh, you know, his teeth in the floor and Big Thomas uh, laughing his head off.
0: Everywhere that he's been, there has always been a nickname as well, Humour Bomb, Mad Dog, The Ogre, The Bull, the Shrek. None of them throughout the course of his career were particularly complimentary in any way, shape or form. Did it actually irk him in any way?
1: I don't think it... I think, I, I think as it went on, it irked him. I think initially, you know, in Germany, he was called the humour bomb, which I'm not quite sure how it translates into English. Um, and then at Everton, he got mad dog. Um, and then, like you see, the ones he had in, uh, you know, in Spain. So I think, as, I think as it went on, I think the perception of him maybe started to subconsciously kind of eat away at him a little bit. And I think maybe he felt, I can't be who I want to be. And that's where the book maybe takes a bit more of a serious turn, where you, you feel as this guy sort of struggling to be himself he's constrained in the world of football and he can't be who he wants to be uh, and he starts to feel a bit more uncomfortable and then i start, I think thing and then you start to see maybe instance like at madrid when he has the fight with Robinho, which is the Know, which kind of puts the 10 lead on his career
0: there. Now, just staying on that Robidio incident, he actually denies any serious wrongdoing. He said, I made some strong tackles, but I didn't actually leave any bruises. He retaliated by hitting me and giving me a couple of kicks. So I decided I'd go for him. It would have probably been better had I not done that. But he does point out the fact that Spanish TV does have a film of it, and you can actually see some of that film on YouTube still, but you don't actually see all of the film.
1: Yeah, I mean it's one. It's one of those things that um, you know. I mean, I spoke to actually one of the you know Madrid squad who was there, and he said it was, it was like a normal sort of training ground flare up. It wasn't this big uh, massive brawl that it was sort of maybe mean, made out to be. And then obviously it was pinned all, all on Thomas. I mean, it's very rarely anyone seems to think Rubini would any part in it. It was all Thomas. But that was him. He was he was hundred percent everything he did. I mean, I tell a story in the book where. You know, Everton. He has, a, he has a he has a he has a partner, a girlfriend, a childhood sweetheart who was a footballer as well, and she follows him. And you know, they used to go in the gym and play one on one after training. And he'd slide in there, you know, like it was Patrick Vera, like it was Roy Keane, you know, just <laughs> full force. And you know, that's how he did everything. So the the thing with Robinho. I wasn't there but people that were there tell me and also from what I've understood about Thomas I think there was no malice it was it was purely just a football thing and I think maybe unfortunately he was kind of scapegoated and maybe it was made into more than it is like you said
0: people shouldn't actually confuse his appetite for the game and his competitiveness on field with indiscipline in any way shape or form if you look at his record From 1999 to 2009, there are only three red cards uh, one against uh, Kaiserslautern for Hamburg, one for Everton against Fulham, and the only straight red in a 2 1 home loss for Real Madrid against Valencia.
1: No, no, he didn't. No, I mean, it was. I think that's something because of his mannerisms, but, you know, because of the way he went about things. I think people assume he was this kind of sort of raving lunatic. But, like you say, it was. Totally not the case, and, you know, since he was younger, his, his, his coaches at Vila, a chap called Oli Fritzen, who was Thomas's mentor, sort of taught him a trick of imagining a stone in his hand and counting to three, and then changing it to his other hand, you know, just to calm him down, so it's something he worked on at, I think he was aware of it, um, I think he maybe always played on the edge a little bit, but, like you say, there was no intend to hurt anyone or, or be overly aggressive it's just it was just how he was um, it was just maybe I, I think Thomas is someone who's been summed up quickly in a snapshot and I think there's a lot more to him and a lot more depth that is dismissed and hopefully my book can sort of provide some of that for people like there.
0: Another interesting aspect of his time in Spain was that from day one he said that he was constantly writing Spanish words and phrases down phonetically as well so as he learned something new every day now what a contrast that approach is to that of gareth bale who's made significant headlines of late due to the fact that he's never attempted to learn spanish in five years and uh, wondered why he's cast as something of an outsider
1: yeah it's very it's very very surprising that about bale i mean uh, i don't understand it myself but you know speaking on you know for thomas and all the things i know about thomas that he he's a kind of guy who, who would want to integrate you know, he. You know, Madrid was a big deal for him. Going there, it, it, it wasn't something that he took lightly. He was he was honoured to play for Madrid. I mean, he he couldn't believe it. I mean, he was labelled a happy schoolboy in Denmark because this guy was living his dreams. I mean, he would sprint out for training and just think, I can't believe I'm here. I mean, is this actually <laughs> happening to me? You know, it wasn't like he was blase about it. So I would imagine I could see Thomas spending time. You know, you know, trying to learn the language, trying to assimilate i mean he speaks with a lot of respect about real madrid even although i feels though he was treated not as well at, you know towards the end and he was sort of you know sort of uh, put out to pasture i mean and in, in, in hamburg when he moves to hamburg he actually puts gravison hsv on his buzzer in the Love city center so, so any anyone passing could just ring his buzzer if you want a wee chat one of the fans and anywhere he went he tried to integrate that was something that was important to him and it comes from where he's from in denmark he comes from a tight-knit community where loyalty and integrity mean something. And that was instilled in him. And I think, you know, he, he kept that going wherever he was. He was always keen to talk to younger players and be around people. And, you know, he, he, he wasn't the kind of guy who wanted to shut himself away in a sort of glass cage of, of sorts.
0: It's funny, really, because after he left, there was a lot of players who came out and spoke up for him. Casillas called him a a breath of fresh air, Sergio Ramos. Remember, this is the Sergio Ramos who's been sent off more times in his career than anybody else in the top five leagues in Europe. He was actually a good player, he said, but he had a hard time getting used to the Spanish style. He came across as, uh, get this, too aggressive. Uh, We weren't used to that type of player in La Liga. And Arrigo Sacchi said, I believe he was a big success.
1: Yeah, i mean i think i think all of them he, he just wasn't what they knew as a footballer i just think he stands out and i, I think he was a breath of fresh air because he was so different anywhere he went i mean a lot of people talked about you know they they thought his reputation in the game was a persona and an image and they were expecting you know that just to just to turn it on when the camera's around but the exact opposite he was just like that all the time and you know like you see with Rubinho when he gets into that brawl there, the cameras catch it, and a lot of his misdemeanors I and mean, he's a famous one in Denmark, where the, one of his teammates is getting a getting a picture taken, and Thomas, you know, sort of uh, drops his shorts. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, and sort of, you know, sort of, uh, you know, shows a bit more than he should, and that and that's in front of the Danish press, you know, you know, before a big World Cup qualifier. But he would never think that. It was just, it was that. That's the way he was. He was just wired that way. There was, there was no turning it off. It was Thomas Gravison hundred percent, all the time.
0: Now he did as well managed to achieve something that few players ever really do. And that's to actually be loved by the fans of pretty much every club that he ever played for. And at each club, there's always a story that is almost folklore. And I'm thinking of the one at Celtic where he uh, asked Barry Ferguson as he left the field at half time in the Old Firm Derby, uh, Hey, Barry, do you know of any good restaurants to eat at in Glasgow? I mean, that really does take some beating
1: was classic thomas yeah i mean again you know he'd be playing he'd, he'd play intensely like the whistle would go and then his focus would go on something else so he'd be thinking right this guy's from glasgow he he must know where he's good to eat so he jogs over to him at half time not even a full time to ask him do you know any good restaurants mate and i think barry Ferguson just looked at him like an alien had landed you know i mean what are you talking about i mean it was just that's that, that's how thomas was but i i think he was a kind of lovable big character that, you know, in some ways was quite naive, but also in some ways had a lot of sincerity about him. He didn't do things half sort of half half. It was full in and then when he was when he wasn't doing it, he wasn't doing it. If you know what I mean, it wasn't there there was never a kinda halfway house with Thomas.
0: And then thirty two years of age, he's had enough and quit. Uh, nobody hears from him for a good few years, and then he pops up in Vegas, mixing it with the high rollers, blowing millions on poker. He's got a glamorous woman on each arm, and he's said to be worth tens of millions. Now, does anybody know where or how he actually accrued all this wealth?
1: No, the, the, I mean, the, you know, there is, a bit of, uh, the, 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 there is a bit of mystery about that. I mean, Gordon Strachan, who was his manager at Celtic, he started peddling this rumour, which I saw him say online that Thomas is the second best Call of Duty player in the world. That's absolute rubbish. I don't know where Gordon Strachan can get that one from, but he's been he's been saying that online to people and it's like that's not true. Um he did make a lot of money. Where it came from is very unclear. And I talk about in the book, I, I do try to show a few things where it could have come from or where it may have yeah, yeah. you know happened from. But I mean his his girlfriend at the time out there, you know, you know, she'd links to Warren Buffett, the kind of sage of Omaha, this, you know, I don't know, sixth or seventh richest man in the world, and maybe there was a bit of help there and a bit of guidance on where to invest things, but Thomas is a closed shop, he's a man who gives very little away, he's known in Denmark as a unicorn, because like you know, he's like a mythical, he's like this mythical creature who sort of appears and disappears and there's a lot of rumour around him, but if anyone wants to go see him, he, he does now live in Vila, he's left Vegas, back in Vila, if you hang about the city centre, I'm reliably informed, he'll go for a coffee, he'll sit down and have a chat with you, no problem at all, if you want to talk to him in professional capacity and get into his mind. No, I don't think so. But, uh, you know, if you want to just uh, talk about football and have a laugh.
0: You spent a long time researching him, his character, his personality, etc. Do you think that there's ever going to be a time where he turns up as a coach of a club or a manager?
1: No, I don't think so. Because I, I, think, I think Thomas is someone who... I don't think maybe Thomas appreciates that he's different from most other footballers. And I, and I say that with respect. I think when when you are that person, you can only see yourself. And I don't think maybe he realises how different he is. Um, So, no, I I think he might have a trouble getting through to people.
0: I have to say, when I said that, it was me wondering whether or not he could perhaps recreate what Wimbledon had with the crazy gang in the 1980s.
1: He could, but I feel as though maybe football's moved on. You know, football's changed. I I think a lot of the players coming out of these uh, academies, it's so sanitised. They're so um, honed to be athletes and to have a... A very professional image and you know things like that off the field i think i think he was so different from from that you know he he comes from a completely different background a completely different way of thinking from that that i think he might have trouble and i think that's why he fell in love with football i think at madrid laterally and then at celtic you know he retires at age 32 like you mentioned in it all kind of ends all kind of peters out a guy who loves the game i think he was pushed out of the game um by it changing more money coming in you know commercial things being more important so i feel as though I think he would struggle to step back into that, maybe at junior level or maybe at amateur level or youth level, but I don't think at top level professional football. I'd be very surprised.
0: oh well, that was author Chris Sweeney talking about his latest publication, Mad Dog Gravizon, the last of the modern football mavericks. It's available from Amazon and any other bookshop they've left open on the high street, and it's priced at £13.29. <laughs> Well, there it is. Hope you enjoyed that look back there with Chris Sweeney. The book is out, as we said, on all the available platforms. It is a good read as well. Very, very amusing. Uh, that just about wraps it up, though, for today. We will be back later in the week with a look ahead to the match with Sothia Dad. Don't forget, you can catch up with all of the previous episodes of the podcast over at the website at www.realmadridpodcast.com. But from me, Tim Capel. that's it for now. we will see you later in the week.